an entire deep dish pizza. It's, uh, that is a disturbing culinary food. But this is a city that waited 105 years between World Series victories. And you're going to see some athletes this week that also know the meaning of perseverance. Welcome to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. As you just heard, John Stewart, an ambassador for the Warrior Games, was the MC for this year's opening ceremony. He also sat down to interview several of the athletes, and those conversations were so good, we decided to put together a bonus episode. First, Air Force Master Sergeant Israel Del Toro, Jr. He's competing in cycling, track and field, shooting, and sitting volleyball. In 2005, while serving in the U.S. Air Force in Afghanistan, Del Toro, also known as DT, was severely injured and burned. Here's his conversation with John. Let's roll it back for you were injured in Afghanistan. I was. I was injured uh, December 4th, 2005. And at that time, um, you were really, you know, badly burned. Yeah, you know, uh, when I got hit, you know, I, I remember getting out, out of the, the truck, extinguishing myself in the, in the creek. Uh, still... The, the medic cutting off my stuff and my team asking for help and me still doing my job, calling an airstrike, helping my team, then having a hard time breathing, that Bailey keeping me awake till the helicopter came. How that came, took me to our little fob medical place, seeing my, my teammates there, uh, and the doc cutting off my watch and telling me I was okay. I was going to be okay. You know, that was December 4th, 2005, then me waking up March of 06. And that was a weird feeling, you know. You know, being told that four months of your life is gone. Right. Uh, being told that they gave you 15% chance to live. Being told that you may not walk again. That you'll be on a respirator for the rest of your life. Be in the hospital for another year and a half, and your military career is over. You know that's that's kind of tough to take. Right. You know, uh, it's always funny when they told me all that. You know, to include you know almost almost died three times, and the doc's waiting. What I'm going to say, and. You know, I couldn't move. I couldn't talk because I had a trach. So they were pretty much just reading my lips. And I pretty much just told them they can go to hell. And, of course, two months after they told me that, I was out of the hospital walking and breathing on my own. That day, December, you guys are out on mission. We're out on mission. And what is what is your mission in Afghanistan that day? So our, it was around Thanksgiving time when the mission came down that I was going to go out with the scout team. Because uh, at the FOB, the forward operating base lagman that was, I was at, I was the only 
JTAC, Joint Terminal Attack Controller, or TAC-P, that's my official title, mm -hmm. uh, to support, you know, two companies, a scout team and a SF team. So I, always, I was always out. So that mission, I was going out with the scouts, and we were told that there was a high-value target that we had to either capture or kill, and there was a supply route that the town man was using that we had to destroy so we're, we're going out. We're going to go out like around December 1st, 2nd. We get air assaulted in meeting with the helicopters. Uh, we fast rope down. Then helicopters come in and drop off. Two gun trucks, uh, our dirt bikes, uh, and some, some other equipment. And we set up a uh, shop in this little area, kind of like a little villa. Mm -hmm. But where we're at, we're like in a bow. So there's mountains all completely around us. Right. Uh, no more than we pass about 200 meters of this creek when I feel this intense heat blast on my left side. And I'm thinking, holy crap, we just got hit. And people talk about life flashing in front of us, mm -hmm. slowing down. And it was crazy. You know, I never believed that. But when I did get hit, it's just images came to my head. You know, me and my wife are finally going to get married by the church after three attempts. You know, we are going to honeymoon in Greece. You know, I was going to teach my boy how to play baseball. You know, these images, and then something clicked. And I was like, I got to get out of this truck. I get out of the truck. But when I got out of the truck, I was on fire from head to toe. And I'm thinking, oh, I got to get to that creek. You know, I know it's behind me. Let me try and run to it. But as I'm riding, the flames overtook me, and I collapsed, and I'm laying there. It's like, I'm going to die here. You know, I, I was going to break my promise to my family, uh, to my son especially. You know, I grew up without my dad. You know, I lost him at 12. And I always said I will never let that happen to my son. So I'm laying there, I'm thinking, my God, I'm going to die here. You know, my promise that I'll, I'll always come back, that I always told my wife, I'll always come back. The promise that I'll never let my son grow up without his dad. You know, it's like, I'm breaking it. And that's when my teammate, my, the LT, he says, DT, you're not going to die here. And he helps me up. You know, he throws a little dirt on me to distinguish some of the flames, and we both jumped into the creek. Right. Someone's badly injured, even though I didn't think I was that badly injured. Right. But as badly as injured, if, we, if I fell asleep, I'd probably never wake up again. So the medic was just trying to keep me awake, right. doing anything what he could to keep me awake. So he used my son. He was like, come on, DT, you got to stay up. You got to fight for your son. You got to fight for your son. And he kept say, making me saying that out loud to the medevac came. And they wanted to carry me in. I was like, oh, hell no. I was like, I walked into this fight. I'm going to walk out. And hobbled a little, got on the, the helicopter. Right. Remember it? Like, we're landing at our foul black men, going to the field hospital. Not saying, you'll be okay. And last thing I remember. And what did they have to, so did they induce you into a coma to, to save your functionality, I guess? They did. They, they induced me into a coma uh, from, from our fob. Did it take you a while to feel like you were still you? Uh, it did. It, it took me uh, a while, especially going through my recovery. 
But luckily, there were guys there that were older that had gone through it. Mm -hmm. And I see that, man, they, they can go through it. And, you know, I always went through it, never wishing that I died. You know, I was like, okay, I got this. I, you know, I, I just got, you know, I got to stay positive. I got to show my son, you know, whatever obstacle, you, you got this, buddy. Uh, and, you know, I never quit until one time. And I do, I call, I call it my darkest hour. You know, uh, when you're severely burned, they, they hide the mirrors. They want it easy into transition. Because, you know, you don't, you may think you still look up the same. Even though, you know, I knew, okay, I lost fingers because I, I would look at myself. You know, but I never saw my face. I was like, I, I know my skin's burned, you know, but I'm still thinking, I probably still look a little bit the same, you know. Uh, but when I first saw my face, and it was by accident, you know, my wife and my therapist, they helped me to the restroom, and one of them slipped and pulled the, the towel or, or the cloth off the mirror. And I saw myself, and I broke down. You know, I was like, I should have died. You guys should have let me die. Why did you guys let me live? And again, it, it wasn't a vanity thing. It wasn't nothing like that. It was like, my God, I'm 30 years old. I think I'm a monster. I have a three-year-old son. I was like, no dad wants his child to be afraid of him. You know, he's my world. He was my, my entire fire, why I fought. And uh, to just think he wouldn't want to be around me crushed me. You know, crushed my spirit. And... and I was pretty uncle for almost 45 minutes. I just say, you guys should have let me die. I should have died out there, you know. And again, my therapist, you know, Gary, he's like, DT, you can't quit, man. You don't realize how many people look up to you. They see you, how you push every single day, how, going through some of the mo most worst pain that a human po person can possibly go through, and you go through it. And you smile and you joke around. And yeah, sometimes like, man, this sucks. But you just don't quit. Don't quit now because of this. Trust me. You inspire not only us, the, the nurses, the therapists, but your teammates, the other wounded guys. And, uh, and he's like, trust me, all, get, all your son wants is his dad. And it, like I said, it took him a while to get, get, me, back in my, get me back in my groove. But it, for the longest time, that was always in the back of my head. I was like, is my son going to be afraid of me? You know, uh, and then when I finally saw him, when I finally got out of the hospital, you know, I'm like, I come out, I look like a freaking mummy. Yeah, I'm all wrapped up. You know, I went from a 200-pound muscle head to 115 pounds, you know. And my wife says, hey, Bobby's home. And, you know, I hear his little feet pattering, da, 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 you know, running. You know, and he stops. And I was like, oh, crap. That entire fear just comes, he's afraid of me. And I was like, everything I fought for, everything that I pushed my body through, he's going to be terrified of me. But he just tilts his head to the side, and he looks at me, he's like, Papi? He's like, yeah, yeah, buddy. Comes up, gives me the most amazing hug. Because I hadn't seen him since August of 2000, 
five, and this is now May, end of May, May beginning of June of 2006. And like I said, it gave him the most amazing hug I've ever had. And like Gary was right, all he wanted was his dad, man. That's all he wanted. And of course, my wife's like, don't hurt your dad, don't hurt your dad. <laughs> and I'm like, shut up, man. shut up, woman, let me Give hold my hug. boy. But you know, it, it, only that day did it really make me want to quit. Uh, and from then on, it was just, I knew I was me. I was like, my boy loves me. He doesn't right. care. The bond between you two is really, it's, it's pretty spectacular. And as somebody who has a son who, around the age of your son, some probably a couple years old, it's, it's a great reminder that that's, you know, I grew up without a dad as well. And it's, it reminds you of what, how strong that bond is and how much you have, you'll go through for it. Uh, you will. It's uh, it's a, it's an unbelievable bond. And I got to tell people, or when they ask me, yeah. what drives you, man? What keeps you going? What keeps you breaking barriers that people say you can't do? Right. And it's like it's that fourteen-year-old son that I have now. Right. You know, at the time, you know, three, five, six, seven, whatever age it was, he's my fire. He's my 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 strength. Right. Now you're hundred percent. They've said you're a hundred percent disabled. I'm hundred percent disabled. February tenth, two thousand ten. First one hundred percent disabled ever, never to re-enlist in the Air Force. Breaking barriers left and right, and then that is the year you started in Warrior, Warrior Games. Games. Right. Now at that point, had you thought of yourself, even you know you were an athlete when you were younger, you playing, but in coming back the way that you did. You really became like a world-class athlete. You know, this this whole other separate identity and character comes to you through this. It, it, it does. You know, uh, you always got to find something that takes your mind off things. You know, sometimes it does fall on me. It's like, holy crap, all these people look up to me. All these people think of me as this person. All these people... Take out this hero, which I don't think I am. I'm, like I said, I'm just a normal dude. It just takes me a little long to take my, put my pants on. <laughs> yeah. As uh, I get older, that happens. <laughs> but so I, fo- I found something that used to just, it's just me. It's just me out there doing my thing, you know. And it was through, throughout the after sports I found that, I, that, that, I guess, safe space. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that quiet zone area, the, the zen area. Because when I'm out there throwing, it's just me. I'm out there shooting. It's just me. Out there cycling. Just me. And everything else is washed away. Mm-hmm. Everything that happened to me from a little kid to, you know, losing my parents to, you know, losing my grandma to, happening, this happening to me. It's all gone. Just me and my sport. It it, it is a very comforting, comforting feeling. Uh, And um, I'm honored in a special way because I do sometimes get to share that with my my wife Mm -hmm. or my son when they come and help me, you know, when I'm out there throwing the shop. Your son's a good coach. 
he is. He's a, he's, he's a little coach out there. He is. He's a, it's funny hearing him. He's like, Dad, you got this. Especially when I'm shooting again, I got my earplugs on. It's like, right. you got this, Dad, you got this. And and he's the one that came up with the phrase. He's like, Dad, come on. Stay strong, finish strong. And that's what I got right. on my arms. And that's always with you. It's always with me. You know, that's, that's something between me and my son. Thank you very much for talking to us about all this, because I know it's not easy at times, you know. But, um, you know, it's an inspiration to all of us. Coming up, John talks with Christy Gardner, whose story we profiled in our previous episode. But before we take a short break, we'd like to ask you for your thoughts on this podcast. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. If you subscribe, we'll be easy to find next time. And if you subscribe on the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Christy Gardner was serving as a military police officer in the summer of 2006 in the demilitarized zone in Korea when she suffered a traumatic injury. Three years after her incident, Christy got a service dog, a golden retriever named Moxie. But it wasn't just Moxie who got Christy through the hard times. She also met a Vietnam veteran who inspired her to become active again and participate in adaptive sports. Here's John Stewart's conversation with Christy. You came alive when you rejoined a team. Is that fair to say? Absolutely agree, yeah. What is it about being a part of a team that you felt like you had lost? And, and how did it feel getting that back? Really, there's a lot to it because I thrive on the energy of the team mm. or the energy of those around me. And so being a part of that team atmosphere is huge for my own personal motivation but also knowing that your friends have your back or, you know, like in the service, your battle buddies have your back. Right. Having that support, knowing that if you make a bad play or you fall down or whatever, they've got you. Is athletics the closest thing to that camaraderie that you had in the Army? Absolutely. The team atmosphere and that camaraderie, like I said, is just, it's huge for keeping our mental and physical health up there. When you were, when you were down, was it that, you felt like you couldn't contribute to a team in the same way or you felt that you, you weren't up to it or didn't want to be around it? In the beginning, I believed the doctors. I met with the polytrauma team after I got hurt and they basically went through a three-page list of stuff they said I would never do again. Right. I wouldn't walk, ride a bike, drive, live alone, be independent. So I believed them for a while and I got pretty down and depressed and just didn't believe that I could have those goals for myself again. And then I got into the adaptive sports, like here at the Warrior Games, right. and it gives us something to aim for. And you see all the other people here with their different disabilities, and they can do it. Right. So it gives you the motivation to really try and believe in yourself again. Have you been back to see those doctors again and given them either a wedgie <laughs> or a noogie? I would absolutely love to. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, you know, It's an interesting part of the story because very often a part of the story for a lot of the service members is that exact thing. They're told what they can't do. They don't tell us what we can do. Right. Or what you might do, or where you might end up. Right. They tell you where you're not going to be. In terms of, of bringing yourself 
uh, back. What I find interesting is how it's not just about surviving, it's about thriving and continuing to challenge yourself in ways that I think might surprise people. Yeah, and the fun thing of it is, you know, once you hit those marks that the doctor said you'd never get to, Mm -hmm. okay, you don't believe them anymore. So if those boundaries that they put on you don't exist, what boundaries are there? So we just keep going. So not only have I learned to run and live independently and drive again, but I'm now competing in distance races and sprints and places they said I'd never get. So I don't even know what next year holds. I mean, for God's sakes, to, to represent your country in the Army, but then to also represent your country through athletics, you know, what was it like to put those colors back on as a member of, of Team USA, knowing how far you would come. Did you take a moment to appreciate that journey? I teared up. Some of my friends' parents kind of laughed at me because they know me as more of a hard-ass that way. Like, I don't right. show emotion. I do my job, and I do what I can to do it well. Right. And for them to see me kind of break down a little bit and just be in awe of everything that I've achieved, you know, they kind of tease me for it. It's so, great. I think that's great. And your buddy is here. Moxie is here. My Mox, yeah. Uh, in terms of Moxie, what would you say her favorite sports uh, to compete with you are? I'm assuming it's going to be the ones that have some type of ball or puck. She does prefer hockey, I think. Hockey is her happy place, aside from playing at camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely owe the rink, like a bucket of pucks at this point, because she kills one every practice. Mm-hmm. But I think she enjoys that. She's been having fun with the 5Ks that I've been running lately as well. That's Getting amazing. a good distance run in for the day. Have you seen your relationship with Moxie change? You know, when she first got there, your needs were different than they are now. So how, how, how has your relationship changed over that period? It's kind of fun because now she gets to be more my buddy instead of just strictly by the book and doing the job. Right. And it's also different because in the beginning, she was very by the book and needed her break time and alone time and stuff. So, like, I slept in my room. She slept in her own room. That was her break for the night. Uh And now we have, like, a deeper bond. Right. So it's fun that way, but also you get used to them. So I'm sure, like, with your own pets, you can see their expressions. Right. And you know what they want or what they're thinking. Right. And so she'll give me attitude sometimes because when I used to use my wheelchair, she would do the light switches and the access buttons to open the doors and stuff for me or go fetch things that I needed. And now when I'm walking, she just gives me a look like, you're fine. You can do it. <laughs> she won't get up and do the stuff she used to do anymore because she knows you can handle it. Well, to some extent. Right. If it's something I really need, then, yeah, she'll go nah, get she'll it. Still, she'll but still. if I'm like, go open the door, she'll be like, why? You go open the door. This sounds like a, a, a buddy comedy begging to be made with a, a soldier and a dog that plays by the rules and a soldier. That, like, that just sounds like a perfect relationship. It really is. And she's relaxed now. And even just in the last couple of years, I only started walking last April. You're kidding. So to go so long from my injury, trying to rehab, limb salvage, and all of that, to say enough is enough, let's change my life, and it really did. And it's looking back now, because one of the interesting things that I see about uh, these games is the enormous impact that the teammates have on each other. And... Can you spot someone who was in the place you were in? And can you, you know... I would say not here at these games. Yeah. Because we've had the trials already, and we are... Like, we know that our teammates have us here. Right. But I need to see this event continue, because... have Even this, for me, this is my first games, and this is huge. 
right. you know, mentally and physically, knowing that I can achieve these things and compete at this level and be that feeling, that team feeling again, is so important. So I want to keep this going so that the next wave can come up and right. feel this too. Because that, that veteran who spotted you uh, and felt that he had to reach out to you, I wonder if that then is something that passes along. Absolutely. And, and you see for others. And so I was telling your son, I went back to school in my GI Bill, right. and I got a degree in rec therapy. Oh, really? So I work through the VA right now. Um, I'm unpaid. I'm volunteering. Right. I teach their adaptive hockey program and senior sports. So I find these folks at the VA and, and kind of drag them kicking and screaming back into life, too. What is it about relevance? You know, one of the hardest things, I think, for, for any veteran, and certainly wounded, visible wounds and invisible wounds or not, is when you're in the service and you're serving, you're incredibly relevant. You feel like a team and you've got that. What's a way that we can help people transitioning back into, you know, especially now there's so many reservists. So let's say, you know, you're an accountant one day, then for the next year you are on patrol in Afghanistan, and now you come back to the office. It's got to be an isolating feeling. There's still so much stigma, and that's hard. Coming back and people say, oh, you have PTSD, you know, like walk on eggshells around you because you're crazy. Like, no, I have nightmares, and I have a hard time sleeping in random places, like traveling. So it's, this is, the, even this trip, this is my first time having a roommate. And knowing that I can sleep in a room and be okay, they're not going to attack me, is it's a hard feeling to relate. Um, I don't think most people even get it. And, and my friends even are still adjusting because I still walk into a room and assess all the threats where the, the roots of egress, you know, wow. how do we escape if there's a problem? I mean, it kind of makes us more prepared for things like the Boston Marathon bombing, right. but that's pretty morbid. Right. Um, so my you feel still that it's that sense of uh, always threat assessment and always... Yeah. I mean, when we came in, we came in through the basement of the building, and I know exactly how to get back out. Right. I also saw a few other routes on the way in. I used the restroom here and saw the routes of exit through there. Right. So, God forbid anything happens, y'all can follow me. For people watching, is there anything that that you want them, you would like them to know about how to interact with you and not to treat you as though you're that they have to walk on eggshells and things like that and, and to be open. What's the best way to approach it? That it's totally okay to talk to us, but treat us as humans. Right. You know, I'm, yes, I'm sort of an anomaly. There's not too many female bilateral amputees around. Right. But it's totally okay. I can change my height and shoe size, and it's great. It's like, I'm so bad. <laughs> You'd be like Mr. Gadget, Inspector yeah. Gadget. Yeah, pretty much. Right. Uh, well, I, I can't tell you how just impressed I was with your story not just because of, of, of where you got into, but watching someone recapture their joy in anything is, is a wonderful thing to be able to, to, to see. And, and you're, listen, I know there are challenges ahead and, and all those things, but boy, is it inspiring to, to see the smile on your face and just how you radiate like, I will, if, even if nothing happens, I will follow you out the exits because I just feel like this is a person who's living life the right way, and it's just great. Cool. Thank you, sir. Just call me sir. <laughs> What's better than that? We'd like to thank Israel Del Toro Jr. and Christy Gardner for sharing their stories with us. 
and to John Stewart for helping us tell their stories. Remember to subscribe to SC Featured on the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts. This episode was produced by Christy Newby and edited by AJ Irish. Ben Weber and Dan Arruda provided field producing and reporting. Gustavo Coletti is the senior managing producer. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jen Latta.